0: Due to the graphic nature of this cult's crimes, listener discretion is advised. This episode includes discussions of abuse that some people may find offensive. We advise extreme caution for children under 13.
1: On September 24, 1983, limos lined the long drive outside the glitzy Beverly Hilton Hotel. Celebrities filtered down the red carpet into the first-ever Integrity Awards, and paparazzi cameras captured their excitement.
0: A large group of stars attended the private charity function. R&B superstar Stevie Wonder, South African Archbishop Desmond Tutu, and Los Angeles Mayor Tom Bradley all made an
1: appearance. 49-year-old John Roger Hinkins' movement of spiritual inner awareness, known as Messiah to its members, spearheaded the event. The whole affair exalted his commitment to the improvement of humanity. He presented chosen honorees with a check of $10,000 for their favorite charities.
0: Among the recipients were none other than Nobel Peace Prize beneficiary Mother Teresa, polio vaccine developer Jonas Salk, and Assistant Secretary General of the United Nations Robert Mueller. When the banquet hall lights dimmed, guests in their black-tie garb took their seats in anticipation of the Master of Ceremonies announcement.
1: The MC introduced Messiah founder John Roger, and the crowd leapt to welcome him. They showered praise on the rising star in a resounding ovation.
0: The celebrities enjoyed being invited to the phenom's inner circle, but they had no idea that beneath John Rogers' polished veneer lurked a deviant, emotional terrorist.
1: Hi, I'm Greg Polson.
0: And I'm Vanessa Richardson.
1: And this is Cults, a podcast Original. Every Tuesday, we look at a cult's practices, their leader, and their followers. You can find all episodes of cults and all other podcast originals for free on spotify or wherever you listen to podcasts to stream cults for free on spotify just open the app and type cults in the search bar
0: last week we examined the rise of self-ordained doctor of spiritual science john roger hinkins in 1971 john roger founded the movement of spiritual inner awareness aka messiah it was a New Age group whose doctrine was lifted from the teachings of previously established organizations, Eckankar and Lifespring.
1: Today, we'll shed light on how John Roger came to head a multi-million-dollar New Age conglomerate. We'll take a deep dive into his transgressions in the 1980s and explore his addictions to sexual deviance, revenge, and physical violence.
0: We have all that and more coming up. Stay with us. 44-year-old John Roger Hinkins enjoyed the growth of his New Age church, Messiah. He taught his 5,000 followers he was the vessel for a Christ-like energy called the mystical traveler consciousness. John Roger raked in millions each year while claiming he came up with Messiah's principles alone. Nobody knew he stole his teachings from groups he studied in the past.
1: By 1980, John Roger had brainwashed a handful of beautiful young men, some of his former high school English students, into serving him all hours of the day. He called his guards the guys, and they protected him at night and on trips.
0: While he did have countless physical affairs with young male devotees, there was no real romance in his life. Nobody really saw him with a long-standing girlfriend or boyfriend, nor did he ever marry.
1: John Rogers' loneliness was profound, which could have been why he surrounded himself with the most visible sects of society. He kept the company of politicians and journalists like Congressman Michael Huffington and his spouse Ariana Huffington. Another one of John Rogers' best friends was Oscar-nominated actress Sally Kirkland.
0: To John Roger, friends weren't those to whom you entrusted your secrets. They weren't even those you meet for drinks and laughs. They were props he used to boost his status. Frequently, they were booked solid, so they only had time for superficial relationships. It was a perfect setup for John Roger. He found it easy to maintain a polished facade, since nobody asked too much of him socially.
1: Vanessa is going to take over on the psychology here and throughout the episode. Please note, Vanessa is not a licensed psychologist or a psychiatrist, but she has done a lot of research for this show.
0: Thanks, Greg. In her article, Traits of a High-Functioning Sociopath, Licensed Professional Counselor and Clinical Supervisor for the YMCA's Counseling Branch, Tracy Smith, said, "...a high-functioning sociopath will primarily present as delightful and charismatic." They have flawless social skills and are adept at adapting themselves to people's expectations of them. Such a person is secretive and covert, rarely giving anybody the opportunity to get to know the true them. A sociopath is not trustworthy and has only hollow relationships.
1: To John Roger, hollow relationships were more than serviceable. Though he was immensely lonely, friendships to him were just part of a mask. He only maintained them as tools to help him climb the social ladder. So in 1982, with his eyes set on expanding his influence, 48-year-old John Roger formed another charitable organization, the John Roger Foundation.
0: This leg of Messiah focused its work on transforming the planet by helping people find their spiritual health, wealth, and happiness. Soon after the foundation's inception, John Roger introduced Messiah ministers to it.
1: He explained the JR Foundation was his attempt to grow the family. And his first order of business was establishing a National Integrity Day. John Rogers set September 24th, his own birthday, as the official date for the new holiday. Immediately, he started planning ways to publicize it.
0: But sometime after he announced Integrity Day, on June second, 1983, radio host Larry King interviewed architect, inventor, and futurist, R. Buckminster Fuller.
1: Fuller was at one time the president of MENSA, the world's oldest IQ society. A renowned engineer, he sold the US military plans for his geodesic dome to cover radar stations around the world. When it came to Integrity Day, Fuller had a different story about the day's origin.
0: He told Larry King's radio audience that earlier in the year, he'd agreed to a visit from John Roger at his home in Pacific Palisades, California. Fuller said John Roger was boastful about the meeting and published a photo of himself with Fuller on the cover of Messiah's Insight magazine.
1: But Fuller also noted that inside John Roger's publication, there was another photograph published. On it, a message read, to John Roger in joint commitment to integrity.
0: The caption advertised that Fuller had written it. He had not. After King's show aired, everyone heard Fuller denounce John Roger. He said the Messiah founder completely lacked integrity. He said he told John Roger about an integrity day of his own and was livid over John Roger's theft of the idea.
1: John Roger was apoplectic. All of a sudden, his reputation was on the line. The Larry King episode was a direct attack on his character. But then, fate gave John Roger a way out.
0: A few weeks after the interview aired, R. Buckminster Fuller died. 49-year-old John Roger used the high-profile death to push his own agenda to his members. He claimed Fuller crossed him. He implied Fuller's death was a spiritual comeuppance.
1: In the meantime, John Roger was waist-deep in producing the Inaugural Integrity Awards Gala. On the heels of Fuller's memorial, John Roger's publicity representatives advised him to offer the architect a posthumous Integrity Award. But when he did, Fuller's estate refused the prize.
0: In response, the John Roger Foundation stated Fuller's estate had no right to reject the generous award. But for all of John Roger's protests, the media sided with Fuller— Despite this humiliating rejection, John Roger decided to press on.
1: The movement sent out its invitations to the gala shortly after. Despite John Roger's now unfavorable reputation, hundreds of Hollywood hotshots decided to see who this guy was.
0: A parade of LA's most elite celebrities took photo ops on the red carpet while gawkers and tourists stared in amazement. Cameras flashed and fans called out the names of their favorite stars. Little did onlookers know some of the famous attendees were also Messiah ministers.
1: Minister Carl Wilson of the Beach Boys, biographer and socialite Ariana Huffington, and Dallas star Lee Taylor Young all showed up for the spectacle.
0: The first of the night's recipients was none other than American virologist and polio vaccine developer Jonas Salk. Assistant Secretary General of the United Nations Robert Mueller was also honored. Amidst all the hype, there was still a strong undercurrent of gossip about the late Buckminster Fuller's accusation.
1: Masai members slipped into restrooms or ponied up to the bar to discuss. Some members defended John Roger, while others exhibited an apparent lack of loyalty.
0: After the event, there was an uptick in disgruntled hearsay among devotees, particularly between twins and Messiah ministers Wesley and Wendell Whitemore.
1: While pruning the hedges on John Rogers' sprawling Brentwood mansion one autumn morning in 1983, Wesley told his brother about his dismay over John Rogers' growing ego.
0: Wendell was relieved to hear this, as he'd also been shaken by John Rogers' theft of Integrity Day.
1: Like a snowball, their concern grew as they talked over John Rogers' hypocrisy. They commented on his proclivity to squander the movement's money on clothes, cars, and a designer spa for the mansion.
0: The brothers heard he'd invested in a new resort in the Bahamas and purchased a Texaco gas station and moped dealership in Santa Monica, California. They didn't understand how John Roger could spend the organization's money, having taken a vow of
1: poverty. Bolstered by having confided in one another, the twins approached other Messiah members and ministers. They asked if other members felt there were two John Rogers, a good guy in the spotlight and a liar in reality. A handful of staffers agreed that John Roger was morphing into a hypocritical Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde.
0: They said that if he was hosting a celebrity gala or appearing on television, John Roger was charming, charismatic, and inspiring. According to them, if he was the center of attention, he was the man they all met a decade earlier.
1: But his staff also commented that as John Roger became more popular, he dropped his act behind the scenes. They described him as impatient and insensitive. Some of his employees even called him a tyrant. The gossip spread, and it was clear the word integrity was just a red herring, set up by the Guru to divert Messiah members from getting to know the real John Roger.
0: The more staffers dished, the more they revealed the Guru's indiscretions, New secrets found light, like how the boss lied to get travel discounts on luxury hotel stays and first-class tickets. Some said they saw him hide loads of gold South African coins and silver bars under the Brentwood mansion.
1: But the most startling revelations to his inner circle were the confessions by three of John Rogers' guys that their leader sexually abused them.
0: Molestation by spiritual leaders isn't as uncommon as one might think gurus and clergy have been known to violate those who look up to them. Bethel University professor Dr. Nils Freeberg and author Dr. Mark Lacer said, The most common offender is reasonably successful and has a combination of narcissism, sexual compulsion, and need for affirmation. Religious groups are hierarchies of unequal power where leaders have powers of moral persuasion and theological authority to deny access to membership and the hope of eternal life. When it came to the doctor's list of each of the potential transgressive traits, John Roger fit the bill.
1: He was nothing if not narcissistic, compulsive, and desperate for praise. He demanded it. It's part of why the guys literally worshiped John Roger, but he'd taken a vow of celibacy, so his devotees wondered how he strayed so far from his stated message.
0: When his close staff members confronted him about his sexual relations, John Roger claimed he never swore to be celibate. Then, in response to the vicious rumors, John Roger fired all three boys on the spot. He thought this would save him, but things only got worse for John Roger from there.
1: Coming up, John Roger takes to his computer to terrorize his defectors and their children.
0: In the fall of 1983, Mormon-born New Age vessel of divine energy, John Roger Hinkins, invited Hollywood's elite to a fancy awards ceremony. The Integrity Awards Gala honored the most dignified members of society, but soon after the function, his closest employees grew disenchanted.
1: Several of his young guards outed him to his advisors as a sexual predator, despite his vow to lead a celibate life. But John Roger blanketly denied the allegations. In
0: 1984, one of 50-year-old John Roger's favorite Messiah couples, Matthew and Ellen Cohen, had heard enough of the minister's rumored sexual manipulations and his constant denials. For their children's sake, the couple left the organization.
1: Their move reflected poorly on John Roger, and he saw their departure as a great betrayal. He instructed remaining members to cut off all contact with the family. But that wasn't enough for John Roger.
0: He sent Matthew and Ellen anonymous threats of physical abuse, implying if they breathed a negative word about him, he'd have them beaten beyond recognition. And when Ellen suffered a miscarriage, John Roger used the misfortune as proof the Red Monk, a demon the entire cult feared, had infected her.
1: He was obsessed with bringing the family down and couldn't leave well enough alone. Within six months, John Roger assumed a disguise and went after the Cohen's 13-year-old daughter, Eve.
0: Eve read Teen Beat magazine in her room while her favorite cassette played in her boombox. She finished her homework and enjoyed some solitude before finishing her chores. Suddenly, her mom tapped on her door.
1: Ellen said Eve had 15 minutes until she had to set the table. Then she gave her daughter a letter that had come in the mail. It was addressed to Eve Cohen, but there was no return label.
0: Eve tore into the envelope. She hadn't received mail since her birthday. The note came from her best friend in Messiah. For our story, we'll call her pen pal, Tina. Eve squealed with excitement. She unfolded the stationery and read the typed letter.
1: This isn't the kind of letter that would normally be written to a decent young lady. However, you have proved you lack good judgment. Your dirty mouth has reached out here to California. Eve, your father might not have told you that he has had sex with various young men he has worked with. One is a black man from Washington, D.C."
0: The language that followed was beyond explicit. The letter went on to inform young Eve that her father slept with the man and hid his sexuality behind his marriage. It said her mother was a harlot who married her father for money and that all of Eve's friends
1: knew it. Though Eve was blindsided, to her, the worst bit was Tina's signature. It read, Signed, Tina, a former girlfriend who has been hurt by you and your family.
0: Eve broke down. She was afraid to make friends for a long time after reading the letter. Even though her parents explained it was a mean trick by the head of the movement, she couldn't shake the feeling everyone hated her family. But the Coens weren't John Rogers' only targets, nor was revenge his only motivation.
1: In some instances, John Rogers was just plain petty. If he wanted someone's time or affection, he fought deviously to get it. Once, he created the alias of a drag queen – He named himself Ruby from Orange County, California, and wrote to the wife of a good-looking male member he hoped to seduce.
0: John Roger fiercely wanted to be with the woman's new husband, so he devised a plan to break them up. His scheme shed false light on her first husband, a former Messiah member who recently committed suicide. In a letter to her, he said,
1: Your first husband and I grew up together and were very close. I remember times we would double date, and after we took the girls home, he and I would go someplace together. Mostly foreplay happened in the car. When we were in bed, I was very passive, and on other occasions, he was passive. As you know, your husband was very randy.
0: As if that wasn't enough to shock any widow, John Roger wrote on. He said, I left just two or three minutes before your husband killed himself. He came to me when he needed loving.
1: The message went on with more lies. He said the first husband shared secrets about the wife's difficulties with intimacy, like how sex with him hurt her. But John Roger wasn't satisfied with just sending the letter. He wanted her to follow in her late husband's footsteps and take her own life.
0: In an attempt to drive the message home, John Roger glued a headline from the National Enquirer to the card. It read, how wives react when they hear the news, your husband is gay.
1: He underlined the words your and gay to cement his intention. Before sealing the envelope, he included a paragraph from the Enquirer article detailing how half the women who discover their husband's sexuality eventually commit suicide.
0: Psychiatrist Carrie Barron, MD, explored the revenge of those with antisocial personality disorder in her article When a Sociopath is Hell-Bent on Destroying You. She said sociopaths convince others they are a persecuted party. Lies roll off the tongue with ease and spontaneity. Slight or imagined grievances set off rage, revenge, viciousness, and physical or emotional violence. They go to shocking depths to malign those who thwart them. Because guilt, shame, and remorse are absent, yet entitlement, egocentricity, and greed reign. The suffering they cause others is meaningless to them. Self-gratification is really all that matters.
1: Self-gratification was John Rogers' North Star. It didn't matter to him that he'd shattered an already grieving woman's heart, nor did it matter to him if he injured the man he coveted. He intended to destroy the families of those who didn't serve his whims.
0: If John Roger heard ordained disciples speak negatively about him, he revoked their ministerial credentials. If initiates doubted him publicly, he excommunicated them.
1: When John Roger exiled those who spread rumors about him, he shamed them by saying they'd fallen prey to the Red Monk, the demonic force all his followers feared. If he could convince remaining Maasai members the Red Monk's virus had inflicted their friends, he could protect himself from the harsh truths being spread about him.
0: He sent his minions to slash tires or pour paint thinner on his enemies' cars. He broke away from his computer to issue death threats personally or call in fake bomb scares. For all his secrecy and disguises, people always figured out that the menace behind these intimidations was the Guru
1: by the end of 1984, several members banded together to end their former spiritual leader's bullying. They hired an attorney and sent a cease and desist letter to 50-year-old John Roger.
0: The formal notice listed his history of known written harassment. It stated if he continued, his actions would become public record. Nothing frightened John Roger more than losing his reputation. So for a short time, the demand notice worked.
1: But John Roger no longer felt he could count on those closest to him. His paranoia grew out of control, and in a desperate attempt to thwart any future sedition, he had the movement of spiritual inner awareness offices bugged.
0: Up next, John Roger gets horrifically violent with the most innocent members of his household his pets.
1: Now back to the story. In
0: 1985, John Roger Hinkins, the 51-year-old leader of the Movement of Spiritual Inner Awareness, spent his days emotionally torturing and terrorizing his members. When he felt he lost too much control, he had his headquarters fitted with covert listening devices.
1: This way, he could listen in on his employees and ministers gossiping about him. It also provided him with an unexpected benefit, as it revealed their vulnerabilities as well. If he heard someone was sick, he'd capitalize on their desire to be well. If a mother talked about not being able to support her family, he could say the right amount of money was right around the corner.
0: John Roger used this information to convince his staff that he could see their futures. They thought he could help them achieve their dreams in a way only a god could.
1: His methods were effective in improving their loyalty. But by the end of the year, he decided the bugs weren't enough. So he put forth a secret initiative to record every conversation possible.
0: Messiah consisted of approximately 5,000 members, and John Roger tracked every single seminar he taught. Secretly, he taped initiates asking personal questions or sharing their vulnerabilities. He demanded devotees express their deepest fears.
1: But his obsession with recording didn't end with office bugs or recorded seminars. John Roger hired spies to wiretap members' phone lines, and he taped almost every single call.
0: His fear of losing control hit new levels when he established a private network of moles. In each region with a significant Messiah following, John Roger hired spies to check in on his ministers. He even engaged other private investigators to
1: trail his moles. The more paranoid he grew, the crueler and more bizarre he became. No longer did he resort to just lies, manipulation, and spying. He sunk to physical violence. And his savagery began with his dogs and cats.
0: Over the years, John Roger collected a pack of pups, mostly street dogs and mutts. His favorite was a little white fluff ball he called Skitzy, short for schizophrenia. By the end of 1985, they were a permanent fixture at the Brentwood Mansion. They traipsed behind the guru wherever he went or nestled in his lap when he read.
1: John Roger depended on his pack for protection. The scruffy gang was one more barrier between the guru and anyone who tried to get to know him. But as loyal as his animals were, he intimidated them into obedience by keeping an electric cattle prod on his person at all times. John Roger used the prod to train the pups, though sometimes he just wanted to zap them and see them startled. He got off on scaring them.
0: In clinical psychologist Dawn Drucker's article, Only Sociopaths Intentionally Hurt Animals, she said, one of the signs of a conduct disorder is cruelty to animals. An individual who's able to engage in cruelty to animals appears to have no conscience and thus no remorse for his or her behavior. The act of cruelty to animals results from an apparent need for power and control, and this need is accompanied by a lack of empathy. Animals are targeted, especially helpless and defenseless ones, because the perpetrator does not recognize or care that they have feelings and can experience not just physical pain, but also emotional pain. While he was a little cruel to his dogs, some might think he was downright wicked to his cat.
1: All sorts of felines roamed the mansion, but John Roger had a favorite. She was an elderly ragamuffin, sweet as could be. One breezy night, the guru procured a can of mace.
0: Eager to take his new weapon out for a spin, he noticed his fat ragamuffin grooming herself on the edge of his bed. He pointed the spray nozzle directly at her head and depressed it, firing the harmful chemical right in the poor creature's eyes.
1: The cat screamed in anguish and bolted from the room while John Roger laughed. When one of his night bodyguards stopped by to see what sent the cat into hysterics, John Roger touted his skills as a sharpshooter.
0: This upset the guard, but he kept this incident under wraps. He and the other guys worshipped their master and feared being the next target of his marksmanship.
1: But John Roger's physical cruelty didn't end with his menagerie. One staff member recalled being on a cross country road trip with John Roger and the guys around 1986. He could sense that the Messiah leader was growing weary. One of the founder's telltale signs of exhaustion was his short temper. And on this particular trip, even the most minute inconvenience rubbed him the wrong way.
0: John Roger relaxed in a private luxury car with his assistant. Behind them, the rest of the staff rode in a rented van. Suddenly, a call came in on the assistant's walkie-talkie. The driver of the staff van wanted to let John Roger know they needed to stop at the next gas station as he was running low on fuel. At this point, John Roger ripped the walkie-talkie out of his assistant's hand, demanding the driver of the van pull off the highway immediately.
1: Without hesitation, the driver merged onto the shoulder, John Roger's car stopped as well. John Roger and the driver of the staff van met in between the vehicles. The guru was livid. Before uttering a word, John Roger cracked the driver hard in the face.
0: He screamed as the man cowered at his feet. He claimed the driver should have never come so close to running out of gasoline. He hurled expletives, accusing the driver of putting the mystical traveler at risk.
1: When he was finished ranting, the guru returned to his limo, slammed the door, and shut his eyes. He demanded a cold Pepsi for his tired eyelids and ordered the driver to peel out, leaving the van in his dust.
0: But a van full of staff wasn't the only thing John Roger was ready to leave behind. Over the next few years, he continued to act out in similar ways. By 1988, John Roger hit a breaking point. He decided it was time to make a change.
1: He withdrew from the public eye to take on a lower-profile role within the organization. He said his spirit guides wanted him to expand the movement's reach in other ways, and he had to heed the call.
0: John Roger claimed it was his turn to pass the mystical traveler consciousness on to a committed disciple. He chose a long-time, strikingly good-looking devotee as his successor, 37-year-old John Morton.
1: Through all of John Roger's temper tantrums, John Morton was the only guy who had stayed by his side, making him the natural choice. However, other staff members referred to Morton as bland, clueless. In his book, Life 102, What to Do When Your Guru Sues You, former Messiah member Peter McWilliams said, around Messiah, the joke was, John Roger passed Morton the keys. Do you think he'll pass him a personality too?
0: Choosing Morton meant John Roger could remain the most spiritual, charismatic, inspiring, and dynamic leader the movement ever had. John Roger would never have allowed someone more witty, charming, or magnetic to follow in his footsteps.
1: Throughout the 1990s and well into the current millennium, John Roger maintained relationships with members who had achieved higher social status. At 60 years of age in 1994, he appeared in headlines again as California Republican Michael Huffington campaigned against Dianne Feinstein for a seat in the U.S. Senate.
0: Media outlets discovered Huffington's wife, Ariana, was a longtime Messiah minister. Though Ariana downplayed her involvement with the group, the association may have hurt the campaign and been one of the factors in Huffington's loss to Feinstein.
1: Former members brought public allegations against John Roger throughout the latter part of the 1990s. They accused him of being a plagiarist and an imposter, sexually assaulting his young male staff, brainwashing, and wiretapping.
0: Several different publications, like the Los Angeles Times, Vanity Fair, and Playboy, investigated John Roger. And while he never met any legal consequences, the barrage of media attention chipped away at his success.
1: The press said that the movement of spiritual inner awareness was indeed a cult. ABC News produced a segment on Messiah, in which anchor Ted Koppel interviewed psychologist Stephen Hassan.
0: Dr. Hassan said, In my professional opinion, Messiah does qualify as a cult. It's a pyramid-structured, authoritarian regime that uses deception in recruitment and mind control techniques to keep people dependent and obedient. People are instilled with phobias that if they ever question John Roger, or if they ever leave the group, terrible things will happen to them. The fallen leader's only defenses against the accusations were to hole up in his mansion and deny them.
1: After handing the reins over to John Morton, John Roger Hinkins attended Messiah events for 26 years, until he died of pneumonia on October 22, 2014. When all was said and done, he authored over 50 books, taught more than 6,000 seminars, produced a heap of feature films, and hosted a national cable television show. He just couldn't be stopped.
0: Unlike several of the New Age churches he stole his doctrine from, Messiah still operates its business today, with John Morton at the helm. John Roger Hinkins professed to ascend to spiritual heights. He positioned himself as a do-gooder whose mission was to share the light of God with as many people as possible. But his life was a sham. And in the end, he only ever meant to serve one power his own.
1: Thanks again for tuning into Cults. We'll be back next Tuesday with a new episode.
0: For more information on John Roger Hinkins, amongst the many sources we used, we found the book Life 102, What to Do When Your Guru Sues You, by Peter McWilliams, extremely helpful to our research.
1: You can find all episodes of Cults and all other podcast originals for free on Spotify.
0: Not only does Spotify already have all of your favorite music, but now Spotify is making it easy for you to enjoy all of your favorite ParCast originals, like Cults, for free from your phone, desktop, or smart speaker.
1: To stream Cults on Spotify, just open the app and type Cults in the search bar.
0: We'll see you next time.
1: Cults was created by Max Cutler and is a ParCast Studios original. Executive producers include Max and Ron Cutler, sound design by Mike Ramos, with production assistance by Ron Shapiro, Carly Madden, and Joshua Kern. This episode of Cults was written by John Levinson, with writing assistance by Abigail Cannon, and stars Greg Polson and Vanessa Richardson. Thanks for listening. If you enjoyed these episodes and want to hear more, remember to follow CULTS free on Spotify or wherever you get your podcasts. New episodes air weekly every Tuesday.